Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Maniac. And I'm your other host, DM Celeste, aka Sea Witch. Dun, dun, dun. And today we're back for another superset episode. And today the superset is entitled Time, you flat circle, you. Time! Oh, why are you so mad at time? I guess we'll see in this episode. Being a weird flat circle. Um, so this one is talking all about the timeline for Day Iron Bay. Uh, and it ended up being a really good example of a quick, easy way to set up a timeline. I'll be honest, I stole it from somewhere and I really don't know where that somewhere is. <laughs> so I apologize. But basically it was starting out by looking at each era as having defined events. Ooh. So basically first era, second era, so on and so forth, and having event one, two, and three, and then letting those define other ones. And it was very sporadic how they went, but it was really interesting to see like, oh, so you've done this one. How did it get defined earlier? What does it define later? How does the current era look? Things like that. So Ooh, a really seems good like a, Yeah, cool way to world build. Yes, with many people. But with that, let's head to the exercise already in progress. Well, I think that's smashing. So I ended up making roughly 10 eras that with three three main events in each of them that people could interact with and say what they think happened. We ended up getting a decent amount of response, but it was interesting because all of it was in the later eras rather than, rather than trying to establish Dayaim Bay's early years. Do you think that maybe that is indicative of anything? As world builders, you know, when I was creating my world, for me, the like creation of the world and that creation mythos was like the first thing I did. But I wonder if that's a thing that for a lot of people, they put off till later and they start kind of with where their adventures are going to be taking place. I think it's riskier. I think it's harder to come up with the origin story of the world. I don't know if maybe in some ways it would get judged a little bit more because... Mm -hmm. That sets the stage for everything else. Whereas if you're going to just jump into the ninth era, the current one for Dayaim Bay, you're looking at having an established world and probably fit more of the tropes that we all understand as the medieval fantasy. And it's easier to just say, oh, there's a big dragon war. Or, I mean, obviously that's that can be way cooler than my weird uh, voice I made to say it, but... I think it's more difficult to really establish that and it not be tropey or anything like that to yeah. really get an awesome origin story that people haven't heard before. I agree. So for the fifth era, it was is referred to as the century of nothingness. Ooh. And for a time of about a century, the gods vanished from Dayaim Bay. No one knows how or why, but there was a void in the spiritual realm. This is not a time when darkness or an evil reigned unchecked by powerful good deities during the fifth era no deities of any kind good or evil or anything in between existed the religious systems were thrown into chaos especially those of the humans as time passed and temples and cities began to be ruled by people who were too young to remember the time when the gods were present interesting currently in my homebrew setting it's kind of similar to this there's the gods haven't like presented themselves either so there's no chaos because of the like religious systems being thrown into chaos it's just kind of like a void but it's interesting to kind of see that what they talked about on the forums you know like paladins and clerics and warlocks having trouble with their powers that's something like that i don't even like i don't even let my players pick one of those kind of three classes because the gods don't exist 
So I like that somebody else is kind of throwing that out there for as an entire era in time when there's just no connection to them. Very interesting. Yeah, and so then you have the first event there is also like that divine magic disappearing. I mean, especially if you think about it, there's not even how quickly you would get to a point where there aren't people that even firsthand practiced it when the gods existed, both divine and arcane and holy artifacts lose their powers. Essentially, I mean, there is nothing. The people of the world are left completely on their own. It's interesting. I, I wonder if it would be something like the Dark Ages for us in history where, you know, so much of the divine magic, I think, in D&D is kind of associated with like healing spells and resurrection and curing wounds. I wonder if you would see during the century of nothingness a rise in diseases, perhaps, within Dayimbe. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what. I mean, it's such a ridiculous how effective or how much effect rather, that would have on the world because, uh, I mean, you're talking the fifth, the fifth era. So, you, I mean, you have, I mean, essentially you would have races that would go extinct is another thing. I mean, you certainly, cert- yeah, I think that that would happen. Certainly the diseases because you have paladins and clerics and priests and everything like that that were stemming the tide. But, I mean, entire races or species could just disappear because they're based in divinity or the arcane arts. Mm-hmm. Definitely a tumultuous time. Yes. How about that third event? What happened in the third event of the fifth era of the Day The third event is referred to as the Divine Resurgence. It says the last event in the fifth area is the tale of the precocious gnome wizard by the name of Fargrim Wilbus, who accidentally found himself transported to the astral plane, only to witness the reemergence of the entire pantheon. First, there was nothing emptiness. Then, in the next moment, the plane was full of life and death and everything in between as the gods who controlled these forces reappeared. So that was probably loud and breathtaking. It's the two things that come to my mind. If I was Fargrim Wilbus and I was in that void and then all of that emerged instantly, I would think that that would be something to behold for sure. That kind of event leads us directly into Uh, The next idea we're going to talk about, which was the Sixth Era. Which was the battle for supremacy. Also, I feel like that poor, that poor, poor gnome, Fargrim, he's going to have a tough go of things after seeing all of that happen. The question is, do we think he survived? If he did, he's either going to be just absolutely crazy or super, super powerful. Yeah, you would have to think he's either going to be... A complete loon or in some way by being present in that event maybe he absorbed some of the divine himself and get out of my head deity i know that's exactly what i thought i saw the wheels in your mind neil they were churning and we were on the same brainwave yep i pay i went and picked up the uh, dumbbell that said create a deity and you you figured you figured me out So the sixth there, like I said, is the battle for supremacy. Essentially, you know, because there have been no gods, there's the entire portfolio of anything and everything is just up for grabs. It has no relation. It has no care in the world of what people, not people, but the deities used to have. So now there's the battle to figure out what their new portfolios will be. Do they just get what they used to have? Do they fight for something new? It's very interesting. I think that it even allows for a cool, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, if you were going to play within the setting of Dayimbe, you'd have to be courageous, firstly, but 
it would be interesting if you were DMing that story in this time period, if you said, hey, let's play a session or two, maybe a one shot, and everyone is going to pick a deity and none of you have domains, but you're going to be like kind of grasping for domains and try and role play out a thing and have players themselves decide and end up making the decisions of what deities end up with what domains. And I think it's just interesting from a storytelling perspective, because I just imagine like a really good god, like, you know, Pelor is pretty much the goody two-shoes of, you know, like Forgotten Realms. Like, what if a character of like his goodness level came back and like his, you know, arch nemesis, like his, the polar opposite of the spectrum, like had kind of reappeared and gained, you know, power first and like grabbed the ability, like the, like the light and the sun as their domain. Mm. And so now he's like, well, my domain was taken by my enemy. What do I do? Do I then take, you know, death and darkness uh, and like kind of a role reversal? Um, and then would, would that character's like innate goodness make death and darkness a good domain and light would become a bad one? The we like there's a, so many options when all of the domains are up for grabs and the gods are just taking what they can get their hands on in this like complete chaos. So my first thought was to like try and think of like board game analogies and you know and having players play as different deities, and then I thought about the even hilarious version where you just write a bunch of uh, portfolio names on the little balls and then play hungry hungry hippos. But I thought that's not. That's not a way to do it. That'd be a hilarious way to solve this problem. Look at all the things I got. <laughs> Sorry. That was, oh, I love it. that was a little out there, but we're okay. The first event of the sixth era of Deaimbe is called the Contention of the Gods. It says this was not a war of gods, but a struggle to lay claim to that which was available. Some took back what they had before and were content with it. Some sought to form alliances with other gods to create a new portfolio. Others tried to work together to wrest control from their opposing deities, be that law versus chaos or good versus evil or anything in between. The people of Deaimbe warred as well for their gods, even without the direct intervention as the gods fought amongst themselves. In hindsight, that's pretty much what we had already talked about. It is kind of what we talked about, but I think it kind of sparks the idea that I was thinking of while you were talking, which was like, if all this is going on within the heavens or whatever, you got to imagine that on Deaimbe, it's quite chaotic as well. Well, and the other thing that I was thinking is if it's like a longer lived race, like dwarves or elves or something, what if their deity no longer has the portfolio that they've known? And then they're just like, what do I do now? Like, this is not the person that I want to follow. These are not the tenets and the ideas that I new this is the time when you know i think you'd see the birth of a lot of new religions you'd see a lot of converts i think you'd also see a lot of crusades and holy wars where people are are fighting for what they used to believe and what they now believe very tumultuous time and a very interesting time a time that you know based off kind of our own history here on earth where you could do a lot of of kind of extracurricular research kind of like in the episode with Lou Anders talking about researching Norse mythology and Norse culture, you could really do a lot by looking at what has happened in our own earth history when people go to war for religion and kind of adopt some of those themes and some of those, you know, moral dilemmas into your game. I just referenced two episodes. I just want everyone to know that. I listen to the uh, podcast. Nice. <laughs> so for the next one, we don't kind of skip ahead in the history, if you will. Obviously, 
eras and events not quite filled in. But the next one is actually the final event of the Eighth Era. Mm. And it is entitled The Transmortal Accord. The numerous rivalries among the moral races, as well as those internal to inv- individual races, found resolution in the legendary Transmortal Accord, a legally binding constitution drafted by ambassadors from most of the civilized nations on Dayaimbe. Dayaimbe. For once, the people of the world set aside their religious and ideological differences and agreed to stop fighting over disputed territory and resources. Many of the national borders established in this great treaty still stand today. The Transmortal Accord also led to greater trade among the nations, including the commerce of ideas. It is a meeting of diverse minds that modern scholars typically identify as closing the Eighth Era and leading to the next great age of Dayaimbe. Awesome. So yeah, that one was by Never. It's it's super mm-hmm. awesome because then it really establishes like a more homogenized world. Yes. That allows for more easy everything in a lot more of ways. Easy I mean, everything. Yeah. All and so, the races living in cities, big metropolises. You know, Never Winter. It allows for you know those big cities that you think of in in the pre-built settings of you know the Forgotten Realms and and Dragonlands. And even with it, you know, it's a very peaceful treaty, but if you're also establishing very clear lines of territories and things like that, you can also have disputes and political aspects if that's the kind of thing that your players Mm -hmm. are into. Yes, I like this one. I like it a lot. Because it segues perfectly into the beginning of the ninth era of Dayaimbe, which is the current era, and is entitled The Age of Discovery. Why is it titled that way? Hmm, if I had to guess, my guess would be that it's because uh, progress in the fields of both science and magic during the previous eras either united or supplemented one another, depending on the exact nature of the research. This has led to an unprecedented ability for mortals to travel, uh, gain education, and otherwise self-determine, which in turn has caused a sense of unease among the ruling classes. They see an increasingly intelligent and capable middle and lower class and fear for losing their power. This has yet to lead to widespread revolution, though dissent has become palpable in nations with strict feudal governments. However, historians generally describe the beginning of the Ninth Era as an explosion of significant achievements in science, magic, philosophy, and art, rather than characterizing it through political or religious institutions with all their machinations. 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 Uh Uh-uh. It's machinations. Machinations. Macadamians. You got it. (laughs) Guys, I can read the Englishes. You can listen to the podcast and read the English, guys. That's why we keep them around. So, I mean, obviously, that further establishes like the Ninth Era as being open and to having anything and everything. And, oh, of yeah. course, an awesome thing that you could spin out of that would be being part of that revolution and having your players be what helps to throw down the current regime and work towards whatever political system they see fit to implement in place of that. Totally. I mean, just like with the combination, you know, science, magic, philosophy, you can easily, you can build that into like having steampunk style cities with airships. You can go to, you know, arcane cities that are all powered by, you know, magic crystals or magic fuel of some kind. And then, yeah, you've got that whole uh, revolution thing. And, it, you know, it seems 
if you just look at, you know, travel, access to education, the ability to like self-determine your own path, it's very much kind of in some ways where we are at in, in today's day and age. So it would be easy to take current events from today's world and bring them right into your campaign and kind of express uh, those stories at the table and try to pull a fast one over on your players to see who they would vote for in the 2016 election. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, as we always do, it is time to lift the proverbial weights and figure out what event and or era that we can come up with on the fly right now. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. Yeah, and obviously we have a couple options open to us. Do we want to go back to the beginning and come up with something in the early eras of Dei and Bay? Or do we want to try and fill in the gap between the first event of the sixth era and the third event of the eighth era? Well, as much as I would like to go to the beginning, and I, I, my fear with that is that I have read the Silmarillion eight times, and so I'm afraid making a creation story in a pantheon that is not heavily influenced by Tolkien's writings is probably impossible for me at this point. Awesome. And since we have more already pre-built information from the lovely forums, maybe we should try to hit that middle patch. Done. The first idea that comes to mind that I feel like would work well as the entire kind of seventh era is you've got, you know, this contention of the gods, which we talked about. Not only are the gods in chaos, but Deimbe, the, the material plane, is starting to get pretty chaotic as well. People are starting to war against each other. And generally, when you have a really great peace treaty, it comes after a really terrible war. So it almost makes sense that the entire Seventh Era would just be absolute warfare. You know, like World War Three, but it's not three. It's just like an entire era of warfare. So I think that that might be a good option. What do you think about that? I like it. So for the, the Seventh Era... I think we can call it the Unceasing War. Mm, very good. And with that, I'm thinking that it'd be an interesting concept. I don't know. It feels it feels high level, so I'm trying to figure out the right words to describe it. But that it's not that a certain group of people or that a certain race or certain area of Dayan Bay doesn't know peace in this time, but it's that Dayan Bay as a whole never knows peace at this time. For whatever reason... Some set of peoples, some groups, some some areas are warring for the entire seventh area, just encircling the planet, if you will. And maybe it keeps coming back to certain areas. It keeps coming back to certain races. Maybe it leaves some almost unscathed. But by the end of the seventh era, every single person has been affected by the unceasing war. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think you could even... If you wanted to, since we're coming, like we're kind of tying this into the sixth era, which was like that battle of the gods, you could even have it be that not only, you know, the the races and like every last person has been affected in some way, but like the world itself. You could do things where constant earthquakes, constant volcanoes, you know, land shifting, cataclysmic kind of level events to the the continents themselves. So that's kind of the what the era is. Is there any kind of cool event or big event that we could have? Do we want the thing that kicks it off or the thing that puts it in the ground? I think we should do the thing that kicks it off because then that leaves 
you know, the thing that puts it in the ground up to dungeon masters when they are playing in the world of Dayheim Bay. I they like can it. have their characters be the heroes who put the end to it. So I say the thing that kicks it off. And I think that something you said earlier is kind of the key to that. And that's that like, you know, what would it be if the dwarves, the god they used to worship, and now has an entirely new domain and portfolio. So we pick a race or maybe two races or, or a god and all of its worshipers that is now utterly switched sides. So maybe like a god of like life and nature has switched to becoming a god of war. And now all the followers, there's not only a split between the followers of that god, but you know, half of them want to now go find the new god of life and love and beauty. And the other half are like, no, we will wage war to like prove ourselves to this new god. I'm with you. I'm just trying to think of who we could, who, what, well, we could have two main groups of people that are warring against each other. Mm-hmm. If you So if you have somebody that's life in nature, that makes me think elves, obviously, is the first mm-hmm. thing that comes to mind. And then if you have someone that's a group of warring people, who would that be? What kind of race would we think would be, or people that would follow a god of war? I mean, I think the easy, the two easiest answers would be humans or orcs, because that's generally pretty standard. I think it might be, to me, it makes sense if the group you select as kind of like the, the fire starters of this would be the humans, because there are humans, you know, that like war and there are humans that like life and beauty and peace. And so it'd be an easy group to split. And the humans are close enough akin to the elves to go out and get their help, you know, for the good guys. And they're they're close enough, like we have some barbaric nature within us as humans. They're close enough to go to the orcs who, you could say the orcs before this time, already worshipped the god of war. So when a huge army of humans shows up on the orc border and says, hey, we now worship the god of war, join us on our conquest, the orcs are like, I'm on board. And then you've got a human orc army, you've got a human elf army, and then the other races just start splintering up as well to join sides on whoever they think is going to come out on top or is backing their portfolio. I like it. Yeah. And then, cause when you, you know, and of course the it's kind of that great equalizer of involving the humans that can be, mm-hmm. that can definitely be the spur that kind of is the, you know, that spur, that catalyst, that thing that just gets the entire world involved in one way or another. Yeah. And I think that that's like, that's also like kind of how, Wizards of the Coast and people who have designed or released D&D in the past, that's kind of how they, I feel like how they kind of determine humans to be within the worlds is that the humans are kind of this template that we can, you know, manifest through uh, to interact with the other fantasy races. Awesome. Well, humans for the win. (laughs) Or for the war, I guess. If you like our content and you feel like you are getting mental gains and you want to share those gains with others, you should head to your podcaster of choice. You know what? You should just beat the streets and tell people that gymnastics is great. But if you really want to get us out in front of other people, like I said, head to your podcaster of choice and leave us a review. And also sprinkle some stars on that review. Five would be great, but I guess you can do others. (laughs) You do you. And as always, you can reach out to us directly by emailing us at dmnastics at gmail.com. Or make sure to hit us up on Twitter at dmnastics, Neil at Jotemoniac, and myself at C. Conowich. And of course... 
For everything else on our network, head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. Huge thank you to the Bards over at Bombarded for our intro-outro music. You can find out more about Bombarded at bombardedcast.com. But with that, we're going to turn out the lights, head out of the gym. Before we go, though, we want to implore you, the listener, to join on the forums, the Discord, Twitter, and anywhere else you can find us and take part in these challenges, exercises, and other amazing conversations being had. To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? <laughs>